Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. I'm Leah, and on today's show, I'm going to check in with Jeff, who just came back from the Sea Otter Classic, and he's going to fill us in on all the hot new products that debuted. So, Jeff, how is California? It was great. The weather was a little bit cooler than usual, but fortunately, there wasn't a lot of rain or anything. It's pretty sunny most days, but a little bit windy. It was funny. A lot of people were complaining about the weather, but you know, it's California and it's beautiful. Everything was green, you know, this time of year, April. It's pretty awesome to be in Monterey in Northern California. Yeah, it was a really good trip this year. You know, we started off with a tour of Specialized Headquarters, which is sort of in the South Valley area in Morgan Hill. Basically, the company had like an open house where they invited people from the media. I got really lucky. They did several tours during the day. I got really lucky and was there when some of the mountain bike pioneers were on the tour. So basically, like we started off in this like sort of museum area that's like in the lobby of their headquarters there. And Mike Sinyard, the founder of Specialized, said hello to everybody, had some kind of like opening remarks. And it turned out that Charlie Kelly and Joe Breeze were in the audience. I guess they had been invited. Basically, Mike was talking about the new stump jumper and sort of the evolution of that bike. And the three of them like got into this conversation, like nobody was expecting it at all. You know, there's all these media people, but like none of us were recording it. I think maybe Chips from Single Track Magazine, he had like his GoPro running, but basically like nobody was prepared for this, but these guys like just started talking about you know, the early days of mountain biking and what that was about. And Ned Overend was in there too. I'd never met Ned before, but he was talking about the early days of racing. And, you know, obviously he and Specialized have a really great relationship. So I just felt really fortunate. I was thinking it's crazy, like, to imagine that we can meet these people who started mountain biking. You know, there's a lot of other things that people are into, you know, where like the founders are long gone and, you know, you can't learn about that history stuff, but like these guys, this is, these are all living people and we can talk to them and hear their stories and like still connect with them today is pretty awesome. Um, and then another highlight for me was definitely the POC dinner with Danny McCaskill. What? No way. He's yeah. like my hero. Yeah. Mine too. Yeah, it was really cool. They have a they had a dinner at one of the local restaurants and uh, invited media people again. And Danny McCaskill was there along with Eric Porter and Martin Soderstrom. I I basically uh, staked out a seat right beside Danny. You know, everybody was like <laughs> shuffling for a seat, and like Danny was the first one to sit down, and nobody was really going for it. So I was like, shoot, I'm gonna sit down next to Danny for two hours, and yeah, it was just awesome um, hearing him talk with the other athletes and being able to like chat with him. He's just so down to earth and like such a regular guy. He's really awesome. Yeah. He's just seems like a really great guy. That sounds really cool, man. I wish I was there rubbing elbows with all of these cool people from the industry that you got to meet and eat with. Um, you know, I know we, we'd love to hear more about you talking with Danny, but let's get back to the bikes. Let's start with the enduro bikes. What's new in the enduro scene? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, enduro has been a really hot category for several years now, and we might be seeing a bit of a shift in that, which we'll talk about later, you know, as we go, we'll start talking about enduro and then, you know, work our way down to cross country bikes. But in the enduro space, there are a couple of notable bikes that I saw. The first was the Spot Rollick. Spot is an interesting brand because they were initially known for, you know, their steel bikes, belt drive, like single speed stuff. Um, I was a really big fan of the brand back in those days, but they've shifted. They're doing a lot of carbon bikes now, but this new Rollick is their uh, first enduro bike. So it's got 
160 millimeters of travel up front, 150 in the rear. And it's a one by only bike. They had to do that to make sure that it was stiff and, you know, really efficient platform. We're seeing a lot of bikes going this way as well, um, which might upset people who are into the two by and dare I say three by drivetrain systems. But the Spot Rollick is, it's not, it's not a cheap bike by any means. Uh, the entry level one is $4,600. Um, it definitely looks like an interesting design and is one that I would, I would be interested in checking out for sure. Did you say at 4,600, is that a carbon bike? It is. Yeah, they're all carbon. There's no aluminum version. And I think prices just go up from there. I, I'm not sure where they top out. And I do know the spot does offer a frame only option for 2,500 ish. Then another one that we wrote about, I think just before the show, or maybe right as the show was kicking off is the pivot switchblade. And this is a bike that we've reviewed on single track. So you can search that and find that review. But this is a bike that was only offered in carbon fiber for the first couple of years that it's been out. So Pivot just added an aluminum version, which makes it a little bit more affordable. You know, it's still a Pivot. Pivot does not make inexpensive bikes. You know, previously the Switchblade, the Carbon, the cheapest one was like $5,100. But that was with like an XT drivetrain and they, they put really good parts on it. They're basically, they don't. They don't spec like low level builds by any means for any of their bikes. And the aluminum one is is the same. It's still the bottom build is still XT and it's got, you know, dropper post and all that stuff. The news though is that it starts now at $4,099. So about a thousand bucks off of what the carbon version cost. And, you know, it still supposedly has the same ride qualities and ride feel, you know, really similar look to it and everything. You know, I talked with Chris Kokalis, the founder of Pivot, about the new bike. And, you know, his thing was that they really wanted to take the time to make the aluminum version ride just like the carbon version. Yeah, I've always personally been a fan of Pivot bikes, right? Because they're the ones that had the the low standover bikes that meant for me that I could ride, you know, a race-ready bike that was better fit for my geometry or yeah. so I say. Yeah. They used to have, we talked about that a little bit too, that they used to have an extra, extra small frame size, uh, but it sounds like they're doing away with that and just going extra small, which is still really tiny, but I forget the reason for that, but basically it still has the same standover as the extra, extra small, um, but it might be just like a shifting of their size chart a little bit. Now let's move on to some of the trail bikes. Jeff, what you see that's new in that world? So the biggest news there has to be the new Specialized Stump Jumper. You know, we saw some press releases about that before the show, but then the Specialized Tour that I did, you know, really focused on, on that bike, which was cool. You know, kind of started with that with Mike Sinyard talking about the bike and the evolution from the original Stump Jumper. And so we got to see a product design lab where they are, you know, just rendering the stuff on computers to the testing and manufacturing of the bike. It was all really impressive. I don't know if other companies have sort of this same level of engineering capabilities and, you know, marketing capabilities for better or for worse. It just seems like it's it's really hard to compete with specialized like these these guys they're they're the big boys yeah they have their stuff dialed and that was on full display so the bike itself you know if you haven't seen it already if you haven't read about it it's 150 millimeters of travel front and rear they've gone to some more like standardized parts like less proprietary stuff that's basically what they're touting so that means like they went back to a threaded bottom bracket which a lot of people will be stoked about because that's easier to work on at home they added a water bottle mount back into the frame which is big news for people like me i'm <laughs> stoked about that oh and what about that weird new suspension design did you get any insight to why they redesigned the suspension platform yeah i mean there were some engineering advantages to that um, they talked a lot about how it's stiffer torsionally i believe and they got some flack from people on the internet which internet people 
tend to enjoy doing is giving flack um, <laughs> about Just chill guys. Yeah, about how it was a copy of the Orbea. And what's interesting is when we were in the design lab, they had the specialized demo, which was redesigned a few years ago, which actually has that sidearm, a really similar sidearm design. So this is not new to them at all. You know, this is something that they had been working with before and found that it, it was really efficient design and it worked well. So the sidearm is, is really cool. If you haven't seen it, be sure to look for photos. We've got some good ones on our website. They designed everything down to like the chainstay protector. It's got like these ridges on it that minimize chain slap. And we got to see them put one of these bikes on a basically like a testing rig that like shakes the bike as if it were, you know, riding over some chunder. And I made uh, slow-mo videos of the chain slap. So I did one like without the chain protector and one with the chain protector. And it's amazing. Like without the chain protector, the, the chain is just whipping through the air like crazy. And then they put this thing on and doesn't do it. It just disrupts the the wave of the chain slap, which is pretty pretty awesome to see. And then the other notable thing is that Specialized is adding another version of the stump jumper called the ST, which stands for short travel. And that bike, instead of 150 millimeters of travel, it has 130. So more of a, you know, it's still a trail bike, but it's down toward the cross country side of that, um, which should make it really good for racing. Cool. All right. I heard that you saw a new Jameis. Now that was my very first mountain bike. So I'm curious to hear what's new with them. Jameis has a couple of new full suspension mountain bikes, and they're based around a new suspension platform that's called 3VO. Honestly, my eyes start to glaze over a little bit when people start talking about suspension platforms because <laughs> there's like a lot going on and there's a lot of jargon. And so I'm not even going to attempt to explain what's good about it. You know, every single, whatever the platform is, the story is always going to be, oh, it's more efficient. You know, it, it handles pedal input better. It descends even better. And, you know, they, they make all those claims and who knows how much of that's true and how much of it isn't without having ridden the bikes. But Basically, there are two of these new bikes. The first one's called the Portal, which is a trail bike, 130 millimeters of travel front and rear. This is a 29er bike that can also be run with 27.5 plus wheels. And then they also have another bike based on the 3VO platform called the Hardline. And this is more of an enduro bike with 160 millimeters of travel. And it runs a smaller wheel size. It runs a regular 27.5 wheel, but also Jameis notes it's compatible with 26 plus wheels. And Jameis was kind of a pioneer in this wheel size, finding that it works well for smaller riders, but it looks like they're also finding that it works well for longer travel bikes because the geometry and things get complicated when you try to put really big wheels together with long travel. Not that it can't be done, but there are definitely some drawbacks to doing that. So pretty cool to see these new bikes from Jameis. Yeah, I might like to try that out. That wheel size sounds almost right for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Jeff. So how about those rowdy hardtails? Now, I know hardtails are making a comeback. You know, we always talk about them on single tracks. They're just fun on the trails. So what do you see on the hardtail side of things? Yeah, they're definitely several companies that are working to make hardtails rad again. And even here in the trail category, you know, we're still talking about trail bikes and yes, there are hardtail trail bikes. One of the ones that I've found was from a new brand called underground. And this is a company that's based in Durango and it was started by the Yeti founder, John Parker. So he took a couple of decades off from the bike industry. He had been, you know, a welder, built some of the early Yeti bikes and later went into like the film industry. He made like machine guns and machine gun props and huh. stuff like for a lot of movies. And so he's now getting back into the bike industry with underground. Their first bike is a limited edition bike called the revival. You know, this bike really caught my eye mainly because of the ugly paint job. I'm not going <laughs> to mince words. It's it's ugly, but it's almost like 
intentionally ugly. It's like so ugly that you're like, oh, that's kind of like cool, like retro uh, sort of, uh, what's the word? It looked very raw when I saw the pictures and the pictures are, are going to be up on single tracks or they already are yeah. actually by the time this comes out. But the welding looked really kind of over exaggerated from from what I recall. Um, mm-hmm. Well, so I guess what I'm saying, too, is, yeah, it's not like really polished. You know, it's not a specialized like you look at this bike and it's like it looks pretty bespoke, like somebody this was like straight from their brain to the bike, like kind of thing. And the welds you're talking about, so the bikes are actually being fabricated by this guy in Vermont. It's really weird. The company's like Durango, Vermont. Is hmm. it John Parker? He's not actually making the bikes. Uh, he's just kind of designing them. But the welds, yeah, are really interesting and kind of over-exaggerated because a lot of people like that look. But back to the bike itself, it's a, it's a hardtail. It's aluminum. 130 millimeters of travel and the company is also planning to bring out a lower cost version of this bike so this special edition bike is like i think it's almost seven thousand dollars for the hardtail uh for a hardtail yeah an aluminum hardtail we're not even talking titanium or carbon or anything but it's got really cool details on it you know again it's, it's hand welded by this guy in vermont but they're going to have a less expensive version called the Recon, I believe. And those frames are going to be fabricated in Taiwan, uh, you know, to keep the cost down. And also they're going to have a slightly less blingy build kit. So I don't know the pricing on it, but that could be an interesting option for hardtail fans. And then speaking of affordable options, Marin has a new hardtail called the San Quentin. And they're offering three builds on this bike The least expensive one is like 850 bucks it's pretty basic but it was designed in part by matt jones and he was basically looking for a bike you know that kind of reminded him of how he started out you know back in the day before he could afford a full suspension bike and you know he just had a trail bike that he would use for everything you know for cross-country riding to dirt jumps to you know even some like downhill type stuff it's an aggressive hardtail at an aggressive price point. There is like a higher level build that comes with dropper post and some internal routing and all that kind of stuff that's still pretty affordable. It's like $18.99, so under 2000 bucks. Definitely cool to see the San Quentin. Oh, and the other notable thing is the head tube angle on it is super slack, 65 degrees, which is, is really low. And I talked with Matthew from Marin about this bike, and here's what he had to say. The San Quentin lineup, which is an all-new, aggressive hardtail lineup from Marin. We've partnered with, uh, of course, Matt Jones, our sponsored athlete. He came to us with the idea of, I want to make you know, a bike that really harks back to when he started riding, where he had a hardtail, you know, didn't, couldn't afford a full suspension. He wanted something that was going to do everything, dirt jumps, trails, yeah. downhill very aggressive so we worked with him through a lot of different prototypes um, we, about a year ago we went to the UK and flew over with three different bikes all had different head angles we did a lot of blind testing with him and his buddies to see what was the best balance of you know jumping climbing descending all those things what do you mean by blind testing like you didn't tell them what the geometry was or like no, we had what blue, was different about them or? so we had a blue bike a black bike and a white bike and we just that didn't influence them I would like what if he like blue better and he's just and, like that's, that's a good one you know, that's a great question. Um, I hopefully colored in influence, but you never really know. <laughs> right. So we got to get together with, uh, you know, Matt Jones, a couple of his buddies, and a guy named Donnie over there. He used to race World Cups, who's been riding one of the bikes and just loving it. And so we went through a couple iterations. And so through the blind testing, they all kind of landed on uh, the middle ground, which was a 65-degree head tube angle. So okay. we gave them a, a 66, a 65, and a 64-degree of head tube angle. 65 is pretty aggressive, I mean, especially for a hardtail. Super aggressive, and that was the the purpose of the bike, is how far can we go on the head angle while still maintaining uh, the ability to climb the bike, which is super important for a trail bike. And paired with the 76-degree seat tube angle, which we started with, that was one thing we didn't really play too much. We we knew we wanted to go with the more modern, steep seat tube angle, Mm -hmm. as well as a pretty long reach number, so the head angle was the big variant. Like, where is the head angle going to end up to ensure that we have the slackest, most aggressive hardtail we can get that can yeah. also climb a, climb back up a hill. Yeah. Did you have like a certain suspension travel in mind when you guys were 
putting this together? You know, with a hardtail, suspension travel is a very critical thing. Obviously, we wanted to have a lot of travel as much as possible for being a hardtail, but yeah. if you go too much, your head angle change throughout the travel is quite severe. It's about, ah. you know, every inch is about one head, one degree. So we went with, on the two higher levels, we have a 130 fork, and on the base level, we went with a 120 fork, because okay. that was kind of our max travel we could get with the chassis of uh, the XCM32, yeah. which we're rocking on the front of that bad boy. Well, that's quite a list of trail bikes, Jeff. I think we're missing one, though. I thought I had read about Trek having a new trail bike right before Sea Otter. Yeah, the Trek Stash 29 Plus full suspension was announced a few weeks before Sea Otter, and I believe they had it at the show. I didn't actually go by Trek, but the full stash, again, it's a 29 Plus full suspension bike. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird bike. There aren't a lot of companies doing this. I mean, a couple of smaller brands coming out with them, but now to have Trek doing it, and it should be mentioned too, the Stump Jumper supposedly can run 29 by three inch tires. So even the new wow. Stump Jumper is a 29 plus bike if you want it to be full suspension. So both Trek and Specialized, they seem to be trying to shed a bit of their like corporate image and they're trying to do like funky weird stuff and show that they get it and that they're cool with the kids and up on the trends and stuff so we'll see if this sticks or if it's just kind of like a kind of a marketing thing or a test to see if people actually you know buy those kinds of bikes from them (laughs) <laughs> well, funky and weird, you mentioned that, and I, I thought of Gary Fisher immediately, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's not far off from the roots of mountain biking. I think maybe what these brands are figuring out is that, you know, they're Trek and they're specialized and they market road bikes and kids' bikes and mountain bikes, and maybe their image and their voice needs to be a little bit different for each of these markets. You know, in mountain biking, you can be funky and weird and you know, not so concerned with performance and competition as you are on the roadside. So maybe that's what we're seeing is them sort of stratifying their marketing a little bit based on the category. There's a bike for everyone, even XC riders, right? Remember the good old days? So it seems like there's also this trend kind of back to cross-country riding with some of the bikes having shorter travel. Did you see any new cross-country bikes, Jeff? Yeah, this seems to be a trend that maybe it's not a trend. Maybe it's more like a pendulum swing back toward cross country. We saw this with the announcement ahead of Sea Otter of Yeti's new bike, the SB100. And they actually kind of telegraphed this several months ago when they signed Jeff Kabush to the Yeti team. And, you know, Kabush is a accomplished cross-country rider and at the time Yeti didn't really have like a dedicated cross-country bike I think the closest thing they had was the SB 4.5 I believe so there's not like a huge surprise or huge secret but the fact that Yeti is coming out with a cross-country bike tells you something that maybe people are getting tired of the bikes that don't climb that well you know the the enduro bikes obviously they descend really well but there's always a trade-off and perhaps the brands went a little bit too far with some of their designs. So we're definitely seeing a resurgence in cross-country bikes and bike racing. And again, we saw it with the Specialized having the short travel version of the Stump Jumper that's sort of a race bike. There were a couple other cross-country bikes that I saw. Both of these are, are I would classify as weird though. They're not like, <laughs> they're not like the SB100 where they're race, you know, competition type bikes, but one of them was the Renovo wooden 29er. It's called the Bad Ash, A-S-H, like the wood. It's literally a bike frame made out of wood. These bikes, you know, they're really beautiful. Renovo has been making bikes for a while. They had, I think they had like a fat bike before this, um, but this is their first like dedicated 29er mountain bike. At first glance, it's like, oh, that's just a gimmick. That's just something that you know, you put on your wall and like you show off to your rich friends, but like they're actually, there's some compelling argument for using wood, at least that Renovo um, is able to offer. So first of all, the bike, the really high end build is 21 pounds, which is really light for a bike. You know, it's a hard tail, so you can definitely go lighter than 21 pounds, but it's really light. And then there's also the performance. So they say that 
wood like all materials it has properties that are good for mountain biking it does good at, at damping vibrations and so they say that it's one of these bikes that you can stay in the saddle longer you know a lot of people myself included have moved away from hardtails for like really long days in the saddle like big big epic rides because you just feel beat up at the end of the day on a hardtail maybe that's my age but like whether it's aluminum or especially carbon those bikes tend to be pretty harsh over the long days so they say that that the wood does a good job at damping that without introducing you know rear suspension which is going to inhibit your efficiency a little bit I saw a frame that was cut in half, so a cross-section. It's basically milled out on the inside, hmm. and then on the inside, they add carbon fiber back into it, which is kind of ironic, I guess you would say. But so it's not totally in no, environmentally friendly wooden Not totally, bike. but that is part of the cell, too. But so they add the they add the carbon in to add a little bit of stiffness and rigidity back into it. But yeah, overall, you know, wood is, is sustainable and the bikes are made in the U.S. in Portland, Oregon, of course. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of like handcrafting and artistry that goes into each one. It's a cool thing to see. Definitely hit up single tracks and search for it. You can see some cool pictures of the bike. Interesting. You didn't see any bamboo bikes, did you? No, I'm sure they were there. <laughs> a lot of people are into bamboo. I won't yeah. trash it too much. You know, you can buy a kit. You buy basically the fittings and whatnot, and then you just like glue some pieces of bamboo into them, and you have a bike frame. So hey, it works. It does. Yep. Get two wheels and go. Yep. So finally, in the cross country hardtail category, actually, this is not a hardtail. This is a rigid bike. Surly introduced the low side. Basically, it's a kid's bike for grown ups. So. Yes, another weird bike. Cool. Yeah. Well, and it's it's really similar to the Marin San Quentin, in my opinion, you know, again, it's like these older dudes that are like remembering their first bike or their early mountain bikes and say, man, that was a lot of fun. You know, why don't, why don't we make bikes like that anymore? And so they are, they're going back and making bikes that are pretty simple, inexpensive. You know, the low side is only 1200 bucks yet. It still has some modern touches like internal dropper post routing, you know, it's got disc brakes so it's like a modern take on an old like neighborhood cruiser bike that you can still ride on trails. They have this launch video where this guy is just, he's just sending it on this bike, this <laughs> rigid bike. It's up to you, I guess, like what you do with that bike. This is the kind like from E.T. You can put a basket on it and <laughs> bring your yeah. aliens I think those around were, town with you. I think those were BMX bikes, but... The handlebar is definitely like the BMX style, so it looks a lot like that. And it has 26-inch wheels, so that's oh, pretty retro. interesting. Yeah, though they are plus. They're 26 plus, so I don't know. Again, yeah, it's like they're blending the old with the new. All right. Well, that was quite a selection of bikes, Jeff. Thanks for taking us through all of those. What else did you see? So let's start with suspension. I saw a number of new suspension products, some of which we wrote up before the show, but then you know actually got a chance to get hands-on and talk with some of the marketing and product design people more about them. Probably the biggest news uh, from Fox was the Stepcast 34. So Stepcast is Fox's lightweight line of mountain bike suspension forks. And the 32 was always targeting, you know, cross country riding and it offered a hundred millimeters of travel, which in this day and age, that's not a lot. Cross country is getting much more aggressive and we're seeing bikes coming out with, you know, 120, 130 millimeters of travel in that space. So Fox added the 34 step cast, which has the bigger stanchion. So it goes from the 32 millimeter stanchion up to a 34, which is going to make it stiffer and more robust. And then it also adds more travel. So they're going from 100 millimeters to 120. The Stepcast 32 is still available, uh, but the 34 is just another option out there. And, you know, I mean, it's the lightest. It's the lightest that you can get. I, I think it's the same, almost the same weight as the 32. So it really doesn't add any weight, but it's stiffer, has more travel, and it looks, it looks to be a pretty awesome fork. Fox also updated or added a new version of their grip damper. They're calling it the grip two. 
And it, this isn't, doesn't seem to be just like an update where they like, Oh, we, you know, added some Kashima to some part or whatever. It's, it's like a fully ground up new design. I talked to Mark from Fox about the new damper and he had the cutaways and everything and took me through it all again like my eyes kind of glaze over when when we're talking about suspension stuff because there there's just so much going on with the different air chambers and the oil baths and how all that stuff works together yeah it's it's crazy but the upshot is there's a real performance benefit to this stuff and I, i don't know that we have to necessarily understand it I mean, that is our job as the media is to try to like explain it and be like, you know, is this BS or not on suspension stuff? I'm probably not the guy to ask if it's BS or not. This is the kind of thing that I could tell you how well it rides once I get a chance to ride it. But just looking at the design, it's, it's hard to say, but Fox is really stoked about it. And then within Fox, so, you know, Fox bought Marzocchi a few years ago and we're starting to see the result of that merger in the form of some of the Fox technology making its way down to Marzocchi and Marzocchi itself is getting sort of its own brand identity as like a lower cost, simpler version of some of the Fox products. So at this show, Marzocchi introduced the Bomber Z1. You know, that was a fork that had been around for a while, but they're sort of bringing it back this year. They added the grip damper, which was, you know, Fox technology. So it's the first generation of the grip. This fork offers up to 170 millimeters of travel. So it's a pretty beefy fork. I talked to Matt from Marzocchi about the new fork and here's what he had to say. You know, if you look at Marzocchi and where the brand came from, it was really, you know, born in moto and they um, focused on suspension performance above all else Mm -hmm. and I think that this new Bomber Z1 really speaks to that in the sense that it really also was about suspension performance before all else. The fit grip damper in there offers an amazing amount of performance. Sure it was started as more of an economy type value-based product but it's definitely taken over in the three years it's existed with regards to the amount of control and performance it offers on the trail so so much so that that damper infiltrated um, you know fox's rad program and all that so to take this damper that is uh, so well proven and ultimately was also born in moto because of the design being inspired by and, and adapted from uh, motocross and, and the technologies used over there it just kind of made sense that they all came together and yeah. to make the new bomber z1 and how it fits it's really simpler system in the sense that you have a mixed control over your high and low speed compression in one lever uh, and then you have low speed rebound control or adjustability at the bottom of the, the damper side leg as well. It offers an amount of performance, uh, maybe not the adjustability, but the performance that's uh, required at that elite level. But it's really easy to understand. I mean, it, the fork really is set the sag and go shred, you know, and that's the rider it's for. Someone who wants to, you know, have something that can keep up, like even smashing bike park laps or something, but not be overwhelmed by adjustability and that sort of thing. So before the show, RockShox announced an update to the SID, which had a similar change to the Stepcast from Fox. So the SID went from 100 millimeters of travel to 120 millimeters. Again, this is just reflecting sort of the change that we're seeing in cross country. You know, 100 millimeters of travel, it just isn't cutting it on a lot of these race courses these days. And so... You know, companies are responding, the component manufacturers, the bike manufacturers, everybody's kind of taking things up a notch. Finally, we also heard before the show that Cane Creek is adding a 29er version of their helm fork. You know, this is a big burly fork that is being adapted for the 29er wheel size because we're seeing more long travel 29ers, like long, long travel. Because it's funny, we used to call long travel 29er like what 140 millimeters <laughs> but now there's you know 160 180 i mean there's downhill 29ers now so this is just again it's an evolution keeping up with like where the bike designs are going well that's great jeff maybe i can finally upgrade from my 100 millimeter fork to 120 i like the sound of that during the show i saw on instagram you posted a crazy looking wheel set what was that about 
So Synchros has a new wheel set that it was kind of unexpected. This A lot of these things, we get press releases before the show, you know, kind of letting us know what's going to be there. But Synchros just had a, they basically had like a launch event and invited people, said, come to our booth at 10 o'clock. We got a new thing. And it turned out the new thing was the Silverton SL wheel set, which is a one piece carbon fiber wheel set. And by one piece, I mean the rims, the spokes, and the hub shell are all fused together. And not just fused together, not like they, you know, got the spokes and they glued them onto the rim. Like the carbon fibers run through every piece of this and they're woven together in different ways. And it it's really weird. The, the thing looks like a road bike wheel set. That's what I thought when I first saw it. But this is designed specifically for mountain biking, super lightweight, like, 1200 and change grams for the set that's the front and the rear basically the presentation was about all the engineering that went into this new wheel set i've got a little bit of the audio from that one of the engineers talking about the new wheel set another company is to come out with a wheel in the next year or two i mean are they basically going to come to the same conclusion as you have do you think or no, are there a lot of different ways that you can optimize there are this ways. What, what we took the risk which we took is to say whatever we come out with this optimization we will be able to make it happen in production right and we were quite confident with this because we have the composite experience with the materials and uh, with, uh, with uh, the frames and so on but I think that uh, this is uh, the, 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 the most scary thing is can I make it happen in production yeah and this is that not something you can put in the software too like the software doesn't understand production constraints today not maybe in 10 or 15 years but today the production constraints are not some parameters which we can put in a computer Hmm. and this is i think the the first decision which you take when you do a a design of a product well how do you design a mold then if if it's not based on the computer. I mean, it seems like you could you could have a design and then use that design to That's what we do. design the mold. Yeah. And then you say, I just want eight pieces in the mold yeah. and not 24. Yeah. And the, the software that, can't do that yet? Uh, not yet. What you can do with the software is that you can see, for example, the parting lines and the, the angles, or if you can remove a piece. And from that, he will be able to define you how many pieces you need. Okay. But he will not be able to change the design to reduce the amount of pieces which you need in the okay. Yeah, definitely sounds like a really unique design and look looks like a unique design. But Instagrammers want to know, Jeff, what if you break a spoke? That would be bad news. This is a $3,500 oh, wheel set. If you're the kind of person who has to ask that question, then this is not the wheel set for you. You know, this is not, it's not designed to be like the most durable, resilient wheel set that's out there, the most field serviceable, you know, this is, this is a race wheel set and carbon fiber, it is going to be stronger than your metal spokes. A lot of people might not believe that and they may push back on that, but testing has been done. There are lots of computer simulations to back all this up you know it's it's strong during our specialized tour they were talking about carbon fiber and you know we hear about this all the time that like oh you know you can the way that you do the weave and the layup affects how stiff or strong something is in a certain direction they actually had samples of carbon fiber like different weaves that you could hold in your hand and you could you could bend them so like some weaves were really flexible you can bend it but then you couldn't twist it Hmm. and then the opposite would be true there'd be one that you could that twists really easily but you try to just bend it in half and you can't and we're talking a tiny thin little piece of carbon you know something that looks like a piece of plastic that looks like you could easily just bend it in half and you can't you know they've done a lot of testing that's not to say if you get a stick through your spokes it's not going to destroy the wheel set you know probably will for the the regular stuff you know little rocks and things getting pinged up in your spokes like you're going to be fine it's going to be stronger than a normal wheel set you know just a metal one that they're not going to bend that's for sure you know it'll it'll break eventually but it's going to take a lot of force to do that and if you do they do say their warranty there's like a two-year manufacturer's warranty and then a three-year crash replacement program and i don't know the details on that but i assume the three year is like 
give you a deal on another set of wheels, but definitely can't repair them or anything because it is all, it's one piece. And if part of that structure is compromised, then the whole wheel set is compromised. Definitely race day wheel set only. All right, $3,500. Yes, I think I definitely will save some of that, try to put it into some other upgrades. Now, surely there are other things component-wise that were maybe not as expensive as this wheel set, but we should be on the lookout for. Yeah, you're going to be a little disappointed with my first one because it is not affordable either, but it's not $3,500. <laughs> this is only $999. Uh, this is the, the E-Wings titanium crank set from Cane Creek. King Creek is known for doing a lot of high-end stuff. Their E-Wing series is like the cream of the crop, the highest of the high-end in terms of their product line. And this is a titanium crank set, which they say is as light as carbon. You know, a lot of people are running carbon crank sets, but it's way more durable and way more stiff. So that means you're going to get better power transfer. And especially for mountain bikers, you know, you if you're riding hard, you're going to be banging your cranks a lot. You're going to be hitting rocks and roots and all kinds of stuff. And especially, especially with the dang low bottom bracket heights these days, you know, pedal strikes are for me anyway, they're pretty common. So this is meant to be one of those things that you buy it. It's going to cost a lot of money up front, but hopefully it's going to save you some money down the road. And King Creek offers a 10 year warranty nice. on the crank set. Yeah. Which is, that's a long time. Most people won't keep, they'll, that'll probably go on like two or three bikes before you get to the end of the warranty period on it. So definitely a cool looking product. Another company that I met with was the Hayes Manitou group of companies. And Hayes is reintroducing the pro taper handlebars and stems. I actually have a answer pro taper handlebar on my hardtail. You know, it's a great set of bars pro taper was one of the first to work with like uh, variable wall thickness so you know they found ways to make bars really lightweight while keeping strength in the places where you need strength and then you know kind of stripping out extra material where you don't need it so i talked with scott boyd who took me through the new pro taper line of bars and here's what he had to say so it's completely redesigned bar and stem system we went through and redid all of the layups for the carbon, all the budding profiles for the aluminum. We added a 35 millimeter for the carbon bars. Okay. We have the 2020 bar down here. Everything is 810 millimeters wide. You have flat, half inch, one inch, or three inch. Okay. Um, the 2020 bar is 720, because an 810 at that width would be a little funky. Right. Um, so on these, obviously we put the cut marks on them, and we put brake lever adjustment lines oh, on cool. it so you can make sure right and left are yeah, at the same angle the stems are completely new it's a cold forge post-op machine stem we changed it up entirely from our existing stem structure the previous generation with three or four different stems five or six different lengths in each one it was a disaster a total <laughs> nightmare so now you've got one stem it comes in 35 40 45 and 50 millimeter lengths 35 and 318 in yeah. all those lengths and then there's a new direct mount stem down here, which is 318 only. Okay. Because we don't currently make a 35 millimeter aluminum bar. The, we played with a bunch of different budding profiles for yeah. that, and we just felt that they were too stiff. Okay. So we're gonna keep working on that, and once we get that done, we'll pull out the 35 millimeter direct mount stem. Okay. Another new product that I saw at Sea Otter is the Look X-Track Enrage pedals. We coincidentally, I think it was during the show, we published Scott Cotter's review of the Look X-Track Carbon pedals. And these are in that same series, but these pedals are meant more for like enduro riding. So they're a little more aggressive. The pedals that Scott reviewed are more, you know, cross-country race, maybe trail oriented. But these pedals have a really meaty platform around them. And not only that, they have a couple of pins on them, which... I'm sure other people are doing it. I just haven't seen a lot of pedals like this. It kind of blends a flat pedal, you know, platform pedal with a clipless pedal. So these are SPD compatible. You know, the platform itself is not huge. It's it's still a clipless pedal, but it does have a little bit of extra meat to it and more grip too. I imagine they're easier to clip in without, you know, having to look down and see where your feet are at. Those pins will really help you find your toe 
and get it in the clip. And what about the world of tires, Jeff? So there were a few tire things that we saw ahead of the show. Goodyear announced that they're creating a performance line of tires. You know, Goodyear, I don't know if you've been in the the bike aisle in Walmart recently. Goodyear was selling tires, or at least they were like co-branding tires. It's a really well-known brand in, in terms of tires, but not necessarily for mountain biking. So they had this like low-end line of tires, but this year they're coming out with a high-end line of tires, everything from cross-country to downhill, and they were even giving out free blimp rides at Sea Otter. Unfortunately, Colton and I didn't have time to do that, but that seemed like that would have been really cool to go up in a blimp and look down on Sea Otter. We saw the Maxxis Asagai. I don't even know how to say that. As- oh, geez. Aaron's going to be so I know. mad. He's going to be really disappointed in me. <laughs> yeah, I'd hope to, to talk to Aaron, get him to talk on the podcast at the show, but we were both super busy. The new tires are, they're downhill tires. They're designed in part with Greg Menar, which, you know, he's a Maxxis sponsored rider. The tires are... <laughs> They're basically a mashup of Maxxis's most popular aggressive tires. So, so yeah, they're like a blend of the Minion DHF, the DHR, the High Roller, and the Shorty. I don't know how they. I don't That's know how they ride. <laughs> That's a lot like, of different um, tires, and just you just like took a knob from each one of those, and yeah, stuck essentially, it on. yeah. Menar was like, oh, you know, I like the side knobs on this tire, so let's use those. I like the center knobs on this other tire, so let's use those, and so. You know, the the concept is it's the best of all of those tires. Um, whether or not that's true in practice, who knows? I, I think Greg Menard has been riding the tires and obviously yeah. he's he's the GOAT, you know, the greatest of all time when it comes to downhill stuff. So we'll see. He knows, I guess. He yeah, know. he should know his stuff. And Aaron, too. We got to give Aaron credit. Aaron <laughs> wouldn't Aaron wouldn't let a bad tire come out. So. I also saw Vittoria. Vittoria is a tire company that produces a number of tires. They sponsor a number of teams and are getting good results. But they're honestly, their tires just aren't as well known. Nobody's as well known as Maxxis. I feel like Maxxis has a real... Well, but they don't have a blimp. That's true. Goodyear <laughs> could be making a real play. Yeah. But Vittoria was showing off a tire liner. It's a tire liner that's like Cushcore. It's a little bit different design. It's a round profile. So somebody walked by the booth and was joking <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know you guys were selling pool toys now. And but yeah, it's a big green, it's a big green noodle. It also, it looks like a noodle because it's not a continuous piece. So when you buy it, it's like a straight piece of foam that you cut to your tire size or your, oh, your wheel so you size, I should say. you customize it yourself. Yeah, you get to customize it. They do come in four different sizes based on the tire width that you're targeting. So if you got, you know, fat bike tire versus a skinny cross country tire, it's a different one. Cut it to length based on your wheel diameter. If you got 26, 27, 29, and then it uses zip ties to like put the two ends together. Um, supposedly it works really well for with tubeless tire setups. So the, it has these channels on the top and the bottom so that it can accommodate various different tubeless valves you know, they've been testing it. Some of their athletes have been able to finish races, essentially deflated tires because it acts as a run flat system. Hmm. And then also like Cushcore, you know, there are some claimed benefits in terms of adding damping to tires. You know, people, people confuse damping and rebound a lot. Like, and that's why suspension forks and suspension products are so complicated because there are these different things that sound like they should be kind of similar, but but they're different. But anyway, people tend to say, oh, well, you know, I've got a rigid fat bike, but that's okay because I got these tires that act as suspension. Tires do not act as suspension. They add rebound, uh, but there is no damping. And so it's it's different. It's, it's really bouncy, um, which is opposed to suspension, which is more controlled. So by adding these tire inserts, you're getting more of that control back, less bounce, more damping again it, this works too. the trend is toward lower tire pressures and by adding these inserts you're able to run lower pressures so definitely something to look into if you're not happy with the way your tires are running so other stuff that i saw component wise 
One Up just came out with a dropper post. We wrote about that before Sea Otter. It's 199 bucks for the dropper post without a remote. So if you already have a post, um, but you're looking to upgrade that, you can just buy the post. I think with the remote, it's still 250 or less. The cool thing about the new One Up dropper post is that they offer a lot of drop. So the up to 170 millimeters, this is what, you know, the early adopters of dropper posts are now realizing that they want even more drop. You know, the original ones had what, hundred millimeters of drop and people are realizing, you know, man, if I could go down another inch or two inches, that would be even better. So people are upgrading their dropper posts for longer ones. So these days, you know, 125, 150 is pretty common. One up says that these dropper posts, for example, their 150 millimeter version, basically it's the same overall length as a lot of other companies, 125 millimeter dropper posts. So what that means is if you are like a smaller rider, um, a lot of times your frame just won't accommodate a dropper post that drops more than hundred millimeters or 125. And so this one up will effectively it'll give you more drop in the same amount of space. There is a limit, you know, you can't have a 300 millimeter dropper post cause you just don't have enough C post to soak all that up. So even the 170 millimeter from one up uh, could be a good choice for a lot of people. Cool. I like this trend of new parts for smaller riders like me. Now, how about some accessories like helmets and GPS units, stuff like that? Yeah, there were a number of those as usual. One of the helmets that I checked out was the Bole Trackdown. And, you know, Bole is known for their sunglasses, but over the last couple of years, they've been working on helmets. This is their first mountain bike specific helmet, and it's an enduro style helmet. It's kind of cool. It's got, you know, it's vented, but it's got these little plugs that you can get to make it into like a winter helmet. And there's a special liner that goes with it, but the liner is the same thickness as the summer one. The summer one's basically just a band. And then the this winter liner is like, you know, full on cap. They're both the same thickness. So it doesn't, supposedly doesn't affect the fit of your helmet. And then Bole also has what they call the sunglasses garage, which is a place to yeah store your sunglasses on your visor. You know, like you would do if you're wearing your snapback cap um, you can just put your sunglasses nice. up there. It holds them in securely. I talked with Jim from Bole about the new helmet, and here's what he had to say. Okay, well, this is our, our first mountain bike helmet. We started doing helmets about three years ago. We, we came out with the, the one helmet, which was our sort of all-purpose helmet. And this is our first mountain bike-specific helmet. So this is the track down. It comes in two versions. There is a MIPS version and a non-MIPS version. So we'll talk a little bit about the MIPS version first. All the feature sets are the same, except obviously for the MIPS. It has our Avid liner system. And what we've done here is instead of using a dual density where you have a lower density for low energy impacts and a higher density for higher energy impacts, we've gone with a single density. The advantages are that with using only one material, we can use less material to keep it nice and light, and also it allows us to shape it a little bit more strategically. We also have these channels carved into the helmet, and that allows the single density to act like a dual density, and they also create better, a little bit better ventilation. Some of the other features that we have here, it has a three-position visor, it will easily fit goggles and it uh, also has a Bole exclusive feature called the sunglass garage. It allows uh, you to put your sunglasses into the helmet and the temples won't interfere with your head. It's very comfortable but it holds the glasses in there very well so you don't really have to worry about them shaking loose if you decide you don't want to wear them while you're still riding. Yeah and that's pretty common for mountain bikers you know sometimes the light changes um, also I mean, sometimes you just get tired of wearing sunglasses. You need, on a long ride, you need to like give your eyes a rest a little bit. Does this only work with Bole glasses or will this work with other sunglasses people might have? It will work with any sunglass at all. Typically what I tell people is that if you have narrow temples, put them in right side up, they, they go in very easily. If you're using a wider temple sunglass, put them in upside down, but any sunglass is gonna fit in there. 
another company that was showing off new helmets was Giant. And Giant is a brand that I wish we talked more about. You know, we just... They make bikes. And they make stuff, bikes. They're right? huge. They're huge. They're everywhere. The women's side yep. is really yeah. active and out there in the world to live cycling. Yeah. Um, but I didn't even know they made helmets, to be honest. I mean, they're like specialized in Trek where they have a full line. They support their dealers and they try to get their dealers to sell their branded gear as much as possible. You know, the thing I was going to say is, yeah, Giant just, they aren't really good at marketing. You know, that's not an insult or anything. Like, that's just. I don't think that's a big part of what they do. They're a little more unassuming, just kind of like they put their stuff out there and it's good and people buy it. And um, maybe that's that's how they keep their prices pretty affordable compared to some other brands. But Giant introduced a couple of MIPS helmets. It's called the Rail SX. And these are good looking helmets. They're Enduro style and they retail for 155 bucks. So not bad. Yeah, pretty decent price point. Garmin was there, and Garmin has three new GPS devices for this year. The most notable one, the one I was most interested in, is the Edge 130, which is a pretty small black and white one. Um, It's got a really nice screen that's really visible in the daylight, almost like your Kindle, if you had one of those, the Amazon Kindles, that meant for reading lots of text and in the sunlight and stuff. Um, It's a real real good contrasty display and it gets a ton of battery life um doesn't use like a backlight or anything to make make it readable so garmin says you get up to 15 hours of runtime which that's that's a really long ride people should be stoked about that and then did i mention the price it's 199 bucks so under 200 and it works with a lot of their accessories including a tail light that has radar built into it so this is something for roadies mainly but it's really cool. The GPS has a little indicator on it that lets you know like a car is approaching you from behind. And so it's good if you ride on the road a lot. It's not included with the Edge 130, but it's an accessory you can use with that GPS. Speaking of electronics, I tested something called the Every Sight, which is a basically a heads-up display uh, in a pair of sunglasses. So... Ooh, fancy, very James Bondy sounding. Yeah, it's something that a number of companies have been working on. You know, I mean, there's even Google Glass, which had some apps. I think Strava made an app for Google Glass. So it's not a new idea by any means, but I, I just wanted to see what it was like. I didn't go for a ride. I just like, you know, sat in a chair and put it on just to see what it was like. But it's really interesting. I, I thought I was surprised at how many features they crammed into this thing. You know, it can take video and can take photos for you on your ride. Um, and you can load all kinds of maps and navigation stuff. Um, you can do a lot of like workout stuff where it's telling you like what to do at various points during your ride. I think we'll see more of this in the future as the tech improves. I was surprised at just how well it worked, at least in our little demo. It wasn't a lot of just imagine we're in early days with this stuff, but the company that makes this, they've been doing this for like fighter jets and all kinds of other applications. So biking perhaps for them is, is pretty easy. Like if it's reliable enough for fighter jet, then I think maybe the timing's right for biking. <laughs> but not all of us have the reaction time of a jet pilot. I imagine it might be a little bit hard to have that kind of distraction in your view when you're going down a trail super fast um you know it's yeah. hard enough to not want to be looking at your phone while you're riding right. a bike right so uh, i really wonder how that's that's going to work out yeah it's interesting it it's not they they definitely have considered that stuff it doesn't like it's only in one eye and in one part of your vision hmm. and then it's also i want to say it's monochromatic it wasn't like a full color, like you're watching TV or something in your <laughs> classes. It was, it was pretty like basic and they do some things to really minimize that and keep it simple so that you're, you're really paying attention. Well, good. As long as my text messages aren't showing up there and they do, they oh do boy, that. Oh yeah. boy. Yeah. You can get your texts. <laughs> Might be important. Hopefully people aren't responding. That's the dangerous part. Don't text and bike people. Oh, all right, Jeff. What else you got for us? Oh, just a couple more things. So Topeak 
was showing off a couple of pumps. People are familiar already with the Joe Blow, um, but there's a new version of the Joe Blow or a version that incorporates some new technology called Twin Turbo. Pumps, for a while, there have been these pumps that basically inflate on the upstroke and the downstroke. So a lot of people are familiar with these types of pumps. The Twin Turbo does something similar. So, you know, when you push down, air goes out. When you pull up on the pump, it's inflating this like separate canister. And then once you push down, it releases both the air from the downstroke and the air from the upstroke. So hopefully I'm explaining that, but basically it just means every time you push down, it's like doubling the amount of air. To me, one of the immediate advantages seems to be tubeless tires. This isn't like a booster like we see with a lot of pumps where you like pump up a canister and then you can like dump all the air out at once. But each downstroke is is blasting out more air. And so there are tires. I've done it myself. I've mounted many a tubeless tire using just a floor pump. And so it's possible that this floor pump is going to be one that you can do that with a little bit more consistently. Again, it's not marketed that way, but um, it definitely seems to be something that could be helpful for mountain bikers. There's the twin turbo technology is also in a mini pump that Topeak has. So, and so I talked to Sarah Lucas from Topeak about the technology and here's what she had to say. Yeah, so Topeak came out with the Joe Blow Twin Turbo, which uses proprietary technology where it compresses the air on the upstroke as opposed to like dual action pumps Mm -hmm. where you do the upstroke, it fills the tire, downstroke fills the tire. Their twin turbo technology compresses that air in a chamber in the pump on that upstroke. And then when you actually hit that downstroke, you get that Yeah. So you get that high pressure in there to kind of fill up those higher volume tires, really great for plus tires. um, Is that helpful for seating tubeless tires? That is where the Joe Blow Booster is going to come into place. Like for me personally, I have both of those pumps yeah. um, at my house. The Joe Blow Booster is good for that charging aspect. And then they came out with that in a hand pump, the Mountain TT Twin Turbo Pump. It looks, I mean, it's fatter than a normal pump. It is. So visually, yeah, it's something different is going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Still pretty light and it'll still fit in a bag really nicely or using like a mounting system on a cage. But otherwise, that same technology of upstroke charges the chamber and then you're getting double, you know, yeah. that air pressure going in. So really good. Um, we had a polar explorer, Eric Larson, use this up on a fat biking trip up in Yellowknife and, you know, it worked great for having, you know. Yeah, and, inflating a fat bike tire with a mini pump does not sound fun. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and I have not done it and I can't imagine it's great. So this will at least help a little bit alleviate that yeah, yeah. arm pump that you're going to get. Arm <laughs> so while we're on the topic of inflation, I also checked out the Milk It Booster. And I feel like we saw this at Interbike. Maybe we wrote about it. I don't remember exactly. But basically, it's a it's a canister that you can inflate, that you can pressurize for filling tubeless tires. Um, the company also says you can use this canister as a water bottle. So you could, like, what? bring this thing with you. Yeah, and just screw on the little inflator nozzle on the top. It's really weird looking because it has a pressed a valve on top of it. So here's what you do. You have this bottle, you screw the the top onto it, and then you attach your pump, whether it's a mini pump or a floor pump, to the pressed valve and you pump it up like a bunch until it pressurizes that canister. And then you take the canister over to your tubeless tire and you dump all that air in and you know it blasts it full of air. Milk it has they have like this special tubeless tire valve that like works well with it but basically could be a good choice on the trail you know because the bottle is pressurized though it's thick and it's heavy and so you might just want to still stick with co2 but it's kind of cool because it serves double duty and it's refillable unlike your co2 so definitely a cool option and then finally again on the tire inflation kick there was a product called Goop Quickie that we saw before the show. We wrote up a little bit about it, but it's basically a product.
product that combines inflation and sealant into one thing. So I don't know why, but we have problems on our Subaru keeping air in the tires, or at least we did. I think I think the new tires we have. I don't know have, what that's all about. I really don't know. Yeah, I think we've got it now. We, we don't have problems like we used to, but I would carry around like cans of that fix-a-flat stuff, you know, which was basically like, you know, you walk out to the parking lot and you got a flat tire, fix a flat, it's good for an emergency. You, you put it on your tire, you pull the button and it like inflates your tire and it shoots it full of sealant. Well, that's basically what Goop Quickie does for hmm. mountain bike tires. So combines sealant and inflation. You know, it's a little bit, it's, the package is bigger than a CO2 cartridge. It's probably, it's probably twice the size of the, even the big ones, you know, the ones you might use for like fat bike tires. So it's kind of a big thing, uh, but that's because it has sealant in it. So yeah, you basically just attach it right to your Presta or Schrader valve. I think it's compatible with Schrader. It'll reseat your tubeless tire for you and top off your sealant and hopefully get you home. It's meant for emergency use. You know, I don't, I don't think you should mount your tubeless tires at home with this. Although I don't know, it might be worthwhile if you don't have a compressor or a booster and you don't like dealing with all the mess of sealant. Somebody should try that out, but I don't, it's not being marketed that way. It's definitely like an emergency thing. Um, it's a little pricey. It's like $15 for one canister of the stuff. And so that's definitely more than a CO2 cartridge and a tube, but you're not running a tube. So hmm. you still run in tubeless. A lot of people, if they get a flat tire on their tubeless tires out on the trail, they're going to throw a tube in, which kind of, you know, it's not as good as running tubeless. Doesn't feel the same. You got to run higher pressures. So if you're really particular and you want to keep running tubeless for the whole ride, then it might be a good option. A few people commented when we originally posted and said, you know, what's the point of this? Like if you're running tubeless tires, you're not going to get flats. And obviously those people have not been running tubeless tires very long because <laughs> you most definitely can get flats with tubeless tires. For one, people like me, I forget to check my sealant, you know, um, and that stuff does dry out in your tires. So even if you remember though, to do that, there are still holes that for whatever reason, the sealant just doesn't work. Like I've, I mean, I could tell you just in the last two weeks, I've been on group rides where people had uh, punctures and just sprayed sealant out all over the place until there was no more pressure and no more sealant. And like, then what do you do? So I don't know why that happens, but it happens. Um, you can also burp tires. People do that all the time. If you're riding hard and go into a corner, you don't have the right pressure and you know, sidewall just kind of peels away real quick and you lose all your air. This is a way to get back on the trail. So, well, Jeff, so many products, so little time. Thanks for giving us the rundown of what you saw at Sea Otter. I know this is just a sample of what you saw because there are just many, many, many more new things coming out of the industry all the time. So if you guys want to see any more coverage from Sea Otter, head over to singletracks.com. Uh, look, search for Sea Otter. We'll have some of that new stuff up there for you to ooh and awe at or gawk at. Also, we'll be at Sea Otter Europe in a couple of months. So if you're headed out there, we'd love to connect or drop us a note and tell us what you might like to see. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.